Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Sincere Tweets. I already ruined it. My name is Duncan Carson. I'm here with the uh, wonderful Caitlin Durante, who joins me from Los Angeles. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, you're in Austin, but you're... You live in Los Angeles. That it, this is all true. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I, uh, just, just as a real quick, like, I did this. It's like, you know, WTF. It's like, I moved here to Austin in 2011 mm-hmm. and was like, I want to do that. I want to make friends by picking other people's brains. So I bought all this gear, not this gear, but older, <laughs> really <laughs> shitty gear that would like pick up AM radio on it. Oh, wow. Uh, and I did like 50 episodes and then pandemic sort of restarted everything so i figured why not but you're the first person that i don't actually know yeah well we can we can get to know each other but you're a comedian obviously you'll be doing sure thing on friday and i'm I'm putting this out tomorrow so people can come uh but you also have the bechdel cast uh, a podcast about film with jamie loftus uh another podcast about uh, sludge. <laughs> it's about sludge. Yeah. <laughs> no further explanation needed. Well, we'll get into it. But uh, but what what was first? I guess let's start there. Was it like? Did you? Well, first I was conceived. <laughs> I majored in writing. You know, I wanted to be a novelist, and then I didn't want to wait for six months, and then the writers their publishers would be like no thank you and then mm-hmm. so i started doing stand-up when i was 21 and there's a whole journey but sure you know were you you know a stand-up first yeah i mean yes but i also went to school for film i got an undergraduate degree in Ooh. film <laughs> brag <laughs> i minored in film studies oh my goodness also bragging look, look at, at us. us we're such scholars <laughs> Uh, so I, I did that uh, knowing that I always, uh, that I just wanted to work in film slash entertainment in some capacity. Sure. And uh, I graduated and I moved to New York for a little bit and got a job in publishing that I absolutely hated and um, ruined my life for a little while. What was the job? If not I was the... is I was just a, an assistant to a, a literary manager. Okay, and he was just very bad, a very sure. bad yeah, person. Yeah. Um, but during that time, I took a stand-up class because I was like, I don't have any friends. Whoa, okay. I <laughs> I like funny people. Maybe <laughs> I'll make some friends in a stand-up class. Um, that didn't really happen, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, develop an interest in stand-up. So I then moved to Boston, and that's really where I, like, I would say got started or, like, came up in a scene. Sure, yeah. Um, so even though I technically started in New York, I'd, I wouldn't have call, I wouldn't like call myself like a New York comic or anything. So I came up in the Boston scene. I lived there for four years and then was like, oh, wait a minute. Remember how I went to school for film? Mm. Maybe I should do that again. Where do the films happen? <laughs> yeah. So I stayed in Boston and uh, got a master's degree in screenwriting wow. at BU, which is such an important credential for any writer to have for it masters. was yeah yeah you know it definitely not a waste of money or anything like that <laughs> really sound investment on my part people i mean this is i i feel like i moved here 
at 26 in lieu of grad school. It was either that mm. or get my MFA and have just double all the way down, you know. I think you made the right choice in not going because mm. I'm now drowning in student loan debt. Sure. Um, but the good news is I don't have any intention of paying it back, so yes. it, it doesn't really affect me. Who cares, man? <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Just they'll eventually they'll forgive it, right? That's gonna yeah. happen. Yeah, someone's gotta. I also came down here to flee a bunch of consumer debt okay. that I had gotten out of control, and ten years later, it turns out it doesn't last. After seven years, they just kind of give up. Oh. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I waited it out. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a, it's, what do they call that? It's a war of attrition. You mm -hmm. just got to wear each other down and then. I honestly, one day I was just like, I researched like how thoroughly Texas doesn't let creditors take your stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, they can't get my car. I don't have any other assets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think time is on my side. Nice. And I was right. Wow. Wow, but you're from uh, rural western Pennsylvania, yeah? This is true. And uh, where'd you go to college? Penn State for Penn undergrad. State. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So you've just kind of, you went to the, you went straight to New York out of college. Yeah, which... That's gutsy. It was a, it was a move. It was a choice. It was, it was yeah. so brave of me, you know? <laughs> um, I, it was. And it I'm was scared also, to move to New York. I'm 38. It, <laughs> It is certainly very daunting, and especially because I moved there in 2008, which famously was sure. uh, that major recession. Great time to awesome yeah, time move to, to be the moving most to New York city there is <laughs> and trying to find a job. Yeah, <laughs> jobs weren't ha uh, existing uh, there or anywhere for a while, so um, I really struggled for a bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I did end up finding that awful job that brought me to Boston, Boston and finishing the masters brought me to LA. Cause I was like, well, I, I if I, if I went so far as to <laughs> yeah, 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 do the, like get a master's in screenwriting. I, I got to move to Hollywood. I, I feel like, like you put in the 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 graduate level work of doubling down on screenwriting. Yeah. So you got to go where everybody is sort of existentially doubled down by living there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That makes perfect sense to me. Thank you. That was <laughs> that too was my logic and I've been there for nearly 8 years and um haven't written any screenplays <laughs> since I arrived. Uh but no? I did. I mean, I do. I just. Oh man, accountability is my worst enemy. It's yeah. It's uh, it's your worst enemy. What? what or I guess. Well, I. It's more that I don't have any. A, a so lack it's of like accountability. A, a lack yeah. of a, a lack of accountability is my worst enemy. There's a uh, a book. Not to me that there's a book guy, but uh, <laughs> by Gretchen Rubin, I want to say called Better Than Before. Look it up, listeners. Um, but she just puts there's like four different types of people. And it's like one of those grids from like D and D where it's like chaotic neutral or whatever. But sure. but it's just like people that like can uh, hold themselves accountable mm -hmm. on one what is one column, and people that are accountable to others, right? And there's mm -hmm. true like chaos demons that are accountable to neither themselves or anyone else. And there's, <laughs> uh -huh. there's type A people that are good at both, right? Mm -hmm. And there's there's 
rebels that only meet their own standard but don't listen to the world. And then there's the the type that I feel like you and I would probably identify with the most, which is only accountable to other people. <laughs> like, yeah, when I have any, you know, if my show was not co-hosted, it would not have been like we turned ten in in June. Mm-hmm. And like, if it were just me, I would have just like. Ooh, said yes to all my friends that wanted to do it that weren't funny enough and <laughs> right. not like made as not like felt compelled to make a flyer on time and just you know just just when it's just me forget it it's it's tricky although i f- i find that i only experience that problem with uh holding myself accountable with in, in like very specific areas of my life and writing is one of them yeah, oh, but yeah. a lot of other things I I'm pretty good at, at holding myself accountable, so I don't know why it's just like this one thing, which is also the thing I want to be doing with my life. <laughs> it's well, but. that like it's tough, and I I went to school for writing, mm-hmm. uh, undergrad at least, and and it's just like yeah, I thought I, I wrote like when I the the very same financial crisis. Hit and I was working for a, a sheet music publisher at the time in Milwaukee, okay. where I'm from. And they were like, "Oh, you're the new guy, and the economy sucks, so out you go." Huh. I was also really bad at it, so <laughs> okay. it worked out for everybody. But uh, I had all this free time all of a sudden, and for the only time in my life, I like wrote fifty thousand words of a novel in like a week. And I was like, "Yeah, wow. this is what I'll do forever." And it turns out that was more just like some sort of pent up, you know. Sort sort of identity crisis thing because it is so hard to sit down and write, you know. It really is. It is my current day job, and uh, I <laughs> and I was telling you in the car, it's it's like just kind of fluffy movie content or, or TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the actual value of it to me is it is training me to like strap myself to my laptop mm-hmm. and get thoughts out. And what has been the most illuminating thing is like I'm like I hate this. I don't want to do this. Oh, I have to do this mm-hmm. just to live fine and then by the mid sentence i'll be like i do like this i'm writing look at me <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but and and of course everyone i know and, and myself included could like outline the screenplays i'm going to write sure but the habit has escaped me to sit down and and which has been helpful yeah, here in austin because you know eternally the people that have been here a decade it's like aren't, aren't you gonna move it's kind of hard to make a showbiz living here in the flyover states, but I'm like, yeah, but I think if I were gonna have a packet, I'd already have the packet, you know? Like, Because <laughs> right. I know some people who are so disciplined and mm-hmm. they get up at like six in the morning, they write for two hours, they go to their day job oh or they like, yeah. and I'm like, how can you bottle that part of your brain can you like (laughs) somehow like extract that discipline and sell it as a drug because Mm -hmm. i need that and like you know i'll read like ray bradbury on writing or you hear about like murakami's habits Mm. and they're like they get up every day at 5 a.m right i'm like if i wrote at 5 a.m it would be the most dark shit imaginable i would uh yeah i hate the whole world (laughs) right I yeah nothing nothing would motivate me to do that I don't think <laughs> I mean but on the other hand I feel like you know these these aren't ambitions you've given up surely so, no because I still um like have ideas swirling around I yeah. still 
every once in a while will get on uh, be on a little tear where I <laughs> will write every day for a week, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I could keep up with this, yeah. and then like, no, it turns out I can't. But um, yeah, what's nice is that I'm able to fulfill my like just creative um whatever itch that creative scratch nope the other way around scratch Scratch that creative itch with other things like stand-up and even on the Bechtel cast um even though it's uh more kind of like analytical and discussion based we're still goofing we're still laughing we're like you know quite cracking jokes oh thank you I uh, just the other day I listened to the in, the entire hour that you guys did about the Nicole Kidman AMC, oh, AMC. <laughs> commercial for the movies. Oh, it's brilliant indeed, <laughs> indeed. I, the, the big tragedy of moving a bit south of town for me is I I gave up my Stubbs membership because oh, it's just too far out of my no way. AMC's around. Not enough to like go as often as twenty dollars a month sure. would would mandate. Yeah. Although sometimes when I had that, I would just go see three movies in a day. Oh yeah, same. Yeah, there's no there's no better feeling than being like, you know what? I'm gonna see John Wick three also. I'm gonna just, <laughs> you know, especially the one here. The only one here really is at a mall. So okay, I was looking up uh, where the closest AMC's were because I was like, oh, I don't have that much doing to do during the day while I'm here. I'll just go see a movie, and then it turns out they're all very far from where I'm staying. So I was like, well. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I ha- I gotta come up to town to see uh, everything everywhere all at once. You gotta see it. So see good. It. I'm very excited about it. The trailer looks so good. Okay. Can I ask you a question? You yeah. Do you go into any movies completely blind? Rarely. Rarely. I, yeah. In most cases, I've seen the trailer, and that's why I'm there because I was intrigued by the trailer or also like word of mouth but i think the only movie in the past many years that i saw with zero information going in was a movie called serenity and it's not the uh it's like it's not the firefly it's not sequel, the firefly thing right but it's the matthew mcconaughey you know about it masterpiece yeah <laughs> I loved it so much, yeah. And I I was a little tipped off by some online sort of like, this thing is bonkers, but I managed Mm. to avoid like the big twist. Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. So my friend who like got this group together to go had also been tipped off that it was like, just like, this is bananas. You have to go see it. And the less you know about it going in, the better. So he had some just sort of like, all right, there's something up with this movie. I didn't even have that really. He was just like, let's just go see this movie and don't learn anything about it before. And and we're all like, okay. That, that would be so hard for me to actually not do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it almost never happens. Yeah. But this one case, it happened. And uh, it is just a marvel to behold. For listeners out there, if you haven't seen Serenity, yeah, don't learn about it. Just watch it with a group of friends and be prepared to have it rock your world. <laughs> it is full on bonkers. 
even knowing context about it is, yeah. it was it was unforgettable. I guess maybe a different question in the same vein because like I was a movie pass person, uh, R.I.P. You know, I know <sighs> the golden days, and uh, <laughs> and you know I quite enjoy the subs membership, and it just really it sort of solidified something that's been a recurring theme for me. For a long time, which is just like, I just like going to the movies and I'm tired of like going to work and people are like, oh, was it good or bad? I'm like, I don't know. It was a movie and I knew <laughs> enough about it to not be like shocked by what I witnessed. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of irrelevant to me. It was just like today on the movies, you know, like, sure. Cause now I live south of town. So I'll often have like a random two hour stretch to kill between like an errand and, and a show up here. Right. In Austin, so the other the other week, I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna go see "Marry Me" with Jennifer Lopez Hell and yeah. Owen Wilson because <laughs> I saw the trailer and I know what I'm getting, mm-hmm. and I'm not. I don't really care about my opinion and like placing it in the hierarchy of like, oh, thumbs up, thumbs down, Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. And I feel like you and Jamie do a, a great job of this on the Bechdel cast of just kind of viewing things in their own context. And like, sure. you know, like, like you're analyzing them from the perspective of intersectional feminism, but also just being like, also, it's a good movie on its own terms. Right. Uh, so with the subscription and stuff, is there, do you ever just like really like find yourself feeling like you wasted two hours? No, because the subscription makes it, I'm like, oh, well, at least I didn't pay for that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... If I was like shelling out whatever, like 15, 18, 20 bucks for Marry Me, sure, I wouldn't probably uh, be very happy about that. But I'll uh, pay whatever, $25 for uh, the subscription. It sure. gets me access to up to what, like 12 movies a month. And if one of those is Marry Me, uh, that is great. It's awesome. Great. Love it. It's great. I was also <laughs> the only one in the theater. So I was just like, <laughs> I was just like Instagram storying the whole oh, time and yeah. like tweeting. I was like, these these actors are both fifty one and like fifty two, but I think the movie they're supposed to be like my age. They're like thirties, like thirty yeah. like something. Like somebody refers to J Lo as like thirty five plus. And I was like, <laughs> she's seventeen years older than that. You can't just <laughs> gloss over. And like Owen Wilson's character has a nine year old kid, and he's clearly, I think, more of a. A 30-ish something dad Uh vibe. And they both look ageless, of course. I mean, that's Hollywood for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, so you you mentioned, like, being able to, like, watch things kind of objectively or, like, you know, pulling in the context. And and that's not – we do that on the Bechtel cast, but that is not generally how I watch movies for fun because I go and I'm like – because I love to hate movies as much as I love to love movies. Sure. So if there's a movie that like is terrible and I hated, I revel in ha- hating it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's usually honestly, well, I guess I guess most movies probably do f- fall into that kind of middle of the spectrum like it was fine. It was a movie I'm never I never feel compelled to watch it again. Right. But it didn't infuriate me. But when <laughs> are, there are those movies that either that are on like the two ends of the spectrum where it was either 
so bad that it makes I have like a physical reaction to it <laughs> or it was so good that I have a physical reaction to it. The, that's like, that's my spot. I, I thrive in those sure. areas. I'm trying to think of, I've had a bad physical reaction to something and <laughs> or I, I feel like there's, there's, I just look back and I'm like, man, I should, I, cause now I'll see something that's bad and be like, well, it's so kind of fascinating that like a team of 300 people made this bad. Yeah. <laughs> a good specific thing is like I saw, maybe it was movie pass days still, but I saw that X-Men uh, Rise of the Phoenix or whatever the oh, the last Sony X-Men was called. Right, with the Game of Thrones. Sophie Turner, yeah. In it. Yep, <laughs> just dog shit terrible. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I had the subscription. I knew it would be and I just went in and like kind of laughed at it. Yeah. And when I was uh, 20 or something and the third X-Men 3, uh, Brett Ratner came out, mm. which is also dog shit terrible, I was so mad like the <laughs> rest of the night with my friends because I was a super nerd guy. I was like, Professor X wouldn't do that, you guys. <laughs> I was like, they compromised his character and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I wish I could go back in time and just be more like bemused at how bad things are yeah and not feel like my personal two hours of life was so I, precious i don't know i mean if if you love movies like as much as i do for example because sure. i mean i always joke but it's not a joke because it's true that <laughs> i have cultivated my entire personality around movies mm -hmm. that like of course you're going to have very visceral reactions to basically any movie. So I think that's fine. I think it's healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, there's no wrong way to be, you know. I can't. I can't. I get into it with sports a little bit too where, okay. like, I'll still watch them, but I'm not going to be like, you know. Sure. And it just it doesn't seem like a fun way to be a pop culture fan sometimes when people... Yeah. But, you know, anyway. <laughs> just just to establish one thing, because I know you're a big Paddington fan. Oh, yes. You, but that that has reached the level that, you know what I'm kind of doing is saving those for when I need them the most. Okay. Have I've, you not seen them yet? I've not seen either one. <gasps> and I get that reaction a lot. And I understand how good they are. Uh -huh. And you got the tattoo and everything. Yep. Uh, but uh, I just, I was like, man, I, I'm kind of saving the seeing them because I'll never not have seen them again. For True. Like, for like a dark night of the soul or something. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Um, but to quote. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to quote when Harry met Sally. Sure. Which is uh, probably not where you thought that was going to go. <laughs> but do you remember that part toward the end where. Billy Crystal's like, oh, you know, like when you find figure out you love someone or you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start right now. I feel like that's how you have to approach Paddington, where like when you once you know it's the best movie ever, you you just want to start watching it as soon as possible, or at least that's that's how I would approach it. I understand that's, you know to save it for. To, to you know, to pull you out of a deep dark place. 
Which I'll, it will be able to do. I'm I'm sure it will. I think I also am a little worried I won't. Not that I won't like it, but just that I'll find my heart to be more hardened than I want it to be. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I don't think that'll be the case because in most respects, I'm like a huge big dumb sap, but <laughs> I feel like I'm just a little worried, yeah, or something. There's a lot be. of hype around it by now also, yeah. so I understand. But uh, but definitely I was, you know, uh, researching you, that's weird. Uh <laughs> And, and Thank being you like, so much. Well, and, and thinking about like what pop culture things do I love so much that I would get a tattoo? Because I have this thing here that's a, it's like a math related okay. term about imaginary numbers. And cool. You know, I thought about it a lot because a tattoo, especially a visible one, is a conversation you have to be willing to have yeah. all the time. Yes. Uh, have you seen the show Lodge 49? No. That's kind of my Paddington. Okay. And I'm going to get a symbol from it probably right here. Nice. Uh, and have Tell to, me about this show. Uh, it's two seasons that were on AMC about a fictional Masonic Lodge type organization. Okay. That a sort of uh, young uh, Lebowski-esque, like, uh, you know, like Burnout stumbles into. Mm -hmm. But it's an ensemble with like middle-aged characters. It's very diverse and... Uh, uh, yeah, there's like a slight magical realism element to it, but otherwise it's just kind of like a cool, like feel-good people trying to make ends meet and okay. this this community, because, you know, there's like a tavern at these places and mm -hmm. and stuff kind of, you know, it's like the togetherness that's like lacking in a lot of the current, you sure. know, you know, uh, post-economic recession, you know, diaspora of, of internet and all that that we live in. So it's like, it's earnest very earnest okay that's okay so then i think you will like paddington because paddington is very earnest yeah. in a time where so much media is like very either just like comes with some sense of irony or like yeah actually things are really um s stupid and it's cool <laughs> to think everything sucks uh, which also like i've lived a lot of my life like that so that's like, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> who can blame that's 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 <laughs> where it's like the theme of a lot of like i said about x-men or whatever mm. is i'm just mad at myself in the past uh -huh. For being so like snarky guy, or you know, sure. in college I was super atheist, God is dead guy, and I'm like, just uh -huh. relax on the stick, man. <laughs> you can Calm believe whatever horses. you want, right? <laughs> and uh, this Lodge 4900 gets to that a little too, because there's like a alchem al alchemical, mystical element of like there okay. is magic in the world. It's the one that we live in, you know. Interesting. I will have to check this out. This sounds up my alley. Is will... it tonally light and is it comedic? Yes. It's, okay. It's very funny as okay, well. Okay, cool. I, uh, yeah, I, I got my partner to watch it and we and we just immediately started rewatching it. She loved it awesome. so much. Uh, but I was, yeah, I'm going to get that tattoo and I was, I will watch both Panicked movies if you watch that. Okay, deal. And we'll have spread the things that we love that much <laughs> in the world. <sighs> Uh, and what more can we do? But... Well, and and I wanted to to bring it up because uh, we were talking about it. Uh, she and I. There's so many scenes where you realize you just feel so good because it's just people being nice to each other, mm -hmm. which is so rare because Truly. so much media is conflict driven. Right. And now anything we watch, we have a very Bechdel test like rubric of like, is anyone ever nice to one another? <laughs> 
I'm trying to get through Succession right now, and while I recognize that yes. it's a very well written show and it's extremely compelling, it's very good, but it's difficult because everyone is so awful. It makes me I... physically anxious. Yeah, same. to watch, mm-hmm. especially to binge. I'm like one at a time, tops. Yeah. Oh it's man, a, it's a struggle. So, um, yeah, no, Paddington is. These movies are are pure of heart. <laughs> they, uh, it's about the the kindest, sweetest bear, <laughs> just being so kind and sweet to everyone. The tattoo that you referred to, yeah, what does it say? Says it's a quote from Paddington Two. It says, "If we are kind and polite, the world will be right." Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, that's like that. I think I've just been putting it off because I know I'm gonna have like an experience when I see these movies. Yeah, it'll, you know what I mean. It'll be life changing. Like any anything like that will really. Uh, I don't know if you were too t- tuned in when Conan like lost the Tonight Show. Yeah, and I he, I well <laughs> I um interned at Conan. Hey. No big deal. <laughs> you remember well that last one when he was like uh, just work really hard and be kind. And great things will happen. That's almost tattoo level for me. Yeah. When did you intern for him? Uh, right when I first moved to LA, which was Ugh, the a... end of the year of 2014. What was it like? It was cool. Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, most of the staff were nice. Sure. And, and just enjoyable people to work with. What kind of like what kind of stuff does the do the interns actually do? Let's. So it's a lot of like. How come uh, you didn't get to be on the office like a million of them? Right. I <laughs> know, <laughs> right? Um, it's a lot of like PA work, and honestly, we could go into the ethics of like having people do you know unpaid intern labor and blah, all that stuff. We could. But it was basically like they just uh, had us work as office PAs more or less. So I was like a general production PA. There were other or intern because there were other there were like script interns and. Uh, other research interns and stuff like that. Um, I was general production, so I did a lot of like runs. So, for example, if Lunch. they needed a costume for a sketch, ah. and they had to go rent like a big gorilla costume, I would have to like go pick that up. Or if uh, they needed a cake for something, I'd have to go to this specific bakery and pick up a specific cake, and uh, just like stuff like that. Um, and then other just like things to maintain the well-oiled machine of sure of of the show but um it was it was super fun um i got to meet conan and he was uh i'll, I'll give you i'll share a little anecdote if, uh, if you'd like please so i was significantly older than most of the other interns because they were like juniors and seniors yeah, this in is college. Post-grad school, you're saying? This is post-grad school yeah. for me. So I was in my late 20s. So I was like just like eight years older than most of them. And I had already had a whole career, like many jobs. I knew how to answer the phones, sure. which a lot of these like, you know, younger people think. <laughs> Not to be all like an elder millennial over here, but it's in like my, in my they mind, don't even know how to answer a phone. <laughs> in my mind, like the phone rang and the young ones are all like scared of it. Like They ah. were. Yeah? I was the only one who would ever answer. It's like you and a bunch of squirrels <laughs> or something. Yeah, they just like scatter. <laughs> and then I'm like, hello, hello blah, 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 yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, they figured out that I was, that I like, 
because I had like you assistant had shit jobs. Together. And stuff. Yeah. I used my shit together. So they would always have me cover the desks of um, other uh, of like assistants if they went to lunch or something like that. So I would just basically have to sit there for an hour sure. and answer the phone if it rang. So um, there was one time where I was sitting at someone's desk and like Conan had to come up and talk to the person sitting right next to me. And it was about, they were like trying to figure out, uh, it was one of those episodes where they had the entire cast of a show on all at once. So there was, they needed to like figure out more seating so that everyone, they could like accommodate all the people. So they were talking about like gathering stools, but they like weren't sure what type of stools to get. So they were like, Conan made a joke. He's like, would you say that we would then need a few stool samples <laughs> and then he looks at me to be like ah but that was funny right get uh-huh. it? yeah and then i playing along with the bit just sort of like lowered in my head in shame uh okay. on behalf of like well i was like as if to say wow conan what a stinker of a joke sure sure and then he then lowered his head <laughs> in shame to be like oh and then we all had a big laugh about it but I was like, wow, I was just like in on a bit with Conan O'Brien. Oh, what a dream. <laughs> That's incredible. That's uh there's like the 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 scraps as they're called online, like Team Team Coco. Mm-hmm. Just the the hardest I will laugh for some reason. I don't know if it's doing comedy for so long or whatever, but but like not many movies really get me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and other comics bits sometimes, but like just the like the the behind the scenes of like when they're kind of doing dress rehearsal at Conan, sure they'll put little clips of that online and yep. just like the general vibe of 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 that set, yeah, will kill me. Like I'll just watch a million in a row and be like, "What's it like to be there?" <laughs> in such was... a in such a comedy nerd way, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was great. Wow. Well, yeah, that's and it's been all downhill ever since. Truly, the last seven years. <laughs> the only thing keeping me alive is Paddington. So, yeah. if that gives you any idea, <laughs> that's fair. <sighs> ah, beautiful. All right. Uh, did I? I did want to ask about. So, my partner has also illuminated me in a lot of ways. Because she has abdominal migraines, which her condition is not taken terribly seriously and is very hard to dif- diagnose. Uh-huh. Uh, and I feel like it's it's just, uh, you know, I haven't checked it out yet because I was only wearing the Bechtel cast until this week. But uh, you decided to make a podcast of a journey you had with the medical system. Yeah, yeah. So that's the aforementioned sludge. Sludge. And... It is like basically one and a half seasons where the f- the first season is like a complete narrative recounting my experience, uh, which I'll uh, explain in more detail in just a moment. Hmm. And then the second season, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to other people and learn their stories and like allow them to um, just kind of whatever, have ha- be heard about um you know, the healthcare system and how it has failed them and how medical professionals have been biased towards many different groups of especially marginalized people. And so I wanted to like, you know, crack that wide open. Um, (laughs) But then I got too busy and I put 
the thing on a permanent hiatus. Sure. Um, so, but the first season of Sludge, and it's called Sludge because I had some sort of like pay, episode of pain, just like some kind of attack in my body that uh, was the worst pain of my life at a Renaissance fair of all places. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> um, so I am forever now anti-Renaissance fair. Yep. But uh, I had no idea what was going on. I was like writhing around in pain. Writhing? Uh, went to the, yeah, went to the ER and they're like, well, we don't really know what's going on, but based on some like, kind of preliminary tests and stuff, we think you probably have some sludge in your gallbladder. And I said, uh, excuse moi. Uh, I do? <laughs> Did you say sludge at sludge. me? Sludge. Which I would later come to find is an actual medical term because okay. I had only ever heard that word used right next to sewer because of uh, sewer sludge. There's, there's. It seems like they could have kept workshopping it. They that was a first draft, and they yeah. needed uh, to, to really maybe work. build up or something. You know, right? Any uh, any other word besides sludge? It's just. You know, yeah, all right. <laughs> so I was told I had sludge or probably had sludge, but they didn't do anything to actually confirm, which all they would have had to do was just give me an ultrasound and see that I did, in fact, have uh, gall stones in my gallbladder, or as I refer to them, sludge balls. Sure. Um, <laughs> but in, rather than them doing that at the ER, I was then sent, I, they're just like, okay, well, here's a referral to a gastroenterologist and you're just going to have to basically figure this out on your own. So it was, so I basically spent the next several months just being given the runaround, trying to make appointments, trying to get referrals. And because I had really bad health insurance at the time, Mm. um, it was just such a nightmare. So many hoops to jump through so many uh, just healthcare professionals treating me like sludge (laughs) and it was such a headache and then after like months and months of just like having to tirelessly advocate for myself which like i don't know probably shouldn't be how that works probably shouldn't be yeah (laughs) but it is so um i'm finally able to like get the diagnosis which again of something very common gallstones and uh, I got the surgery. I got surgery to have my gallbladder removed, and but then even like the the lead up the lead up to it, and then the surgery itself like was weird, and then some of the aftermath of it was weird. So like it was just a nonstop chaotic uh, journey that is finally over, and I'm all healed from it, and everything's good, and uh, I didn't have any other. Sludge attacks at a <laughs> Renaissance fair or anything, <laughs> but it was just, um, I think, very indicative of how a lot of people experience the American healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And I felt the need to just recount my tale um, and just kind of from a very like anecdotal because I don't have any medical background. <laughs> Again, I have. Two film degrees. Wow, so cool, Caitlin. <laughs> but uh, so I, and that's part of why I like didn't keep going with it because I was like, I'm gonna have to do so much more research. Yeah, than you're I'm like willing to do. Well, it's it's also I feel like the more 
uh, stories you like find from other people that it's just like a lot of psychic weight to be taking on. That too. Because uh, this is this is rough stuff, you know, and and especially like you said, women and, and marginalized people are often not taken seriously when they report pain and. I mean, yeah. between, uh, I mean, there's just so much bias between, I mean, based on gender, based on race, based on class, based mm-hmm. on disability, based on mental illness, based on size. There's a ton of fat phobia. There's a ton of transphobia, homophobia, like the list goes on. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you would think of all people, uh, you know, and I... I always have to say this. I'm like, not all doctors, but, yeah. like, <laughs> but like, there are many, many healthcare uh, professionals yeah. that are harboring a lot of bias. And it's like, the stakes are very high because the stakes for a lot of people could mean life or death. Life and death. So it's just very frustrating. And uh, I, I am very passionate about it, but um, it is a lot of like kind of, psychological weight to take on so yes. i was like you know what i um well this is important i would rather talk about movies so i'm going to focus <laughs> on my other podcast still focusing on the movies <laughs> i don't want to go watch paddington again i'm all full up on things to base my personality around <laughs> movies are a lot more fun exactly i just i can't wait to check it out and uh, i i recommend other people do because especially um there's so many ways in which you know, I I generally think I'm a, a thoughtful individual. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I've I've led uh, an incredibly lucky life. And there's so many times in the last ten, twenty years, or, or whatever, where I'm just it it occurs to me I'm like, am you know, oh wait, that I, I should probably like think about how I'm a straight white dude that has never had any major health problems. Mm-hmm. Before I'd be like, don't doctors generally mean well? Or whatever clueless, dumbass thing I was going to say. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in, in, in all these little ways that it's been fun to like kind of sort out as I like, you know, just navigate living with somebody that's been through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the other day we had a fun discussion about uh, microwaving stuff in Tupperware. Oh, sure. And uh, that's. part of it. <laughs> there's, there's some evidence that that is not a good thing to do. Because yeah. plastics, you know, microplastics are real hot right now. Everybody's talking about them. Especially when you put them in the microwave. It's so hot. <laughs> they get so hot. <laughs> but I but I like for, there's, there's, and it's not to get into my own mental health journey or anything, but for me, like, just owning Tupperware is sort of a moral victory. Mm. And I was like, now I can't trust labels on stuff? What kind of world do we live in? <laughs> you know, and especially after, like, the last two years when everybody sort of had to be their own epidemiologist and... And just right. the 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 whole system's broken, and all the weights on us. I mean, uh, that was another reason that I decided not yeah. to keep going with sludge because I was like, it feels a bit maybe in poor taste to be like very heavily criticizing <coughs> the healthcare system when uh, a lot of people in that system are doing a lot of work to manage this pandemic. So maybe I won't. Like, I'll take a break from criticizing them, <laughs> <laughs> at least. Right? Well, and, and, like, there has to be a way, I think, in general, to keep in mind, like, I don't, I don't know, in, in, in outside of healthcare, just in general, it's like systems all end up being corrupted. 
but they're full of individuals and, that think that they mean well. Right. And in, in the abstract, it seems like a doctor that has spent 10 years studying to be a doctor could have some information that would be valuable to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, I'll see. I'll, I'm, I'll be 40-something soon, and I'm sure I'll have something come up that I have to, like, make a journey of my own. Best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck. You know, good luck, everybody. Uh -huh. But uh, has is this been, this kind of ties into something I wanted to ask you about as a stand-up, mm -hmm. because I found that, you know, I moved down here and I didn't have a job job for like quite a few years and mm -hmm. didn't really take much care of myself outside of like making it to shows on time and mm -hmm. uh, you know I was either drunk or stoned like most of the time and and, and there's this sort of like Kyle Kyle Kinane was really hot at the time and. Mm -hmm. And just sort of like this, like, oh, I'm a general wise ass and I drink a lot and I suck or whatever. <laughs> and I started to find, I'm like, actually, I could, I want to do, I want to get better at life. And I want to do bits that are about trying to exercise or, or struggles making it to work on, whatever the thing is. Sure. Do you find that your work has an influence on who you are. Ugh, that's a really pretentious way to phrase it. <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. Yeah. And Do, Are you selective in a certain way with what you choose to talk about on stage? For sure. That you've thought about. Yes. Um, but I, there, oh, wow. We're about to open a whole can of worms. I love Get worms. ready. So. How to eat fried worms. <laughs> the podcast. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> I realized, so, uh, Jamie and I started the Bechtelcast five, going on six years ago. Congrats. Thank you so much. And um, in that time, like, I've pretty significantly transformed who I was as far as just, like, approaching uh, feminism and, and making sure that I was well-researched and, and read when it came to any conversations about like diversity and inclusion and um i like i i and that's like very much how i conduct most aspects of my life now but then i was like oh wait i forgot to like rewrite any stand-up material to reflect that or like <laughs> yeah. or like kind of like update stuff or like because now because my stand-up material and you'll see this at the show is <laughs> like is like all about me talking about having sex with dudes and then i'm just like oh my god i'm like this is so like heteronormative but then on the other hand i'm like well but it's, it's true like, to your experience this is my experience because yeah. all i'm doing out there <laughs> is having sex with dudes no but like i um i Part of me is like, but this is still like, this is like sex positive, and this is like, you know, I'm 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 putting a, a, a message out there, and uh, and I, I find that I have, I mean, gosh, okay, so like, dating and romance and sex are like all things that I've been trying to navigate, as mo many people uh, try to navigate. Certainly, um, it's a very complicated thing, but I feel like I've been trying harder with fewer results than almost everyone i know <laughs> so it but it and it makes for like a lot of really good material sure. so that's yeah. a lot of what i end up talking about um and 
there's so there's that. There is what I don't know. It's I don't even know if I'm answering your original question at this point, but <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Who <what> cares? <laughs> <laughs> what even was it? You certainly are, but Okay, thank you so much. Um Yeah, I I, I guess I have like complicated feelings about it. But then there's also oh, here's the other thing I was gonna say, where like I had a lot of material for a long time about like isn't it so funny how sad and single I am all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was like a lot of my act. And then I got to a point, I was like, oh my God, if I ever like do find a partner, my whole brand as a comedian is going <laughs> to, I'm either going to have to start li like lie and pretend like I'm still single. Sure. Um, or like just write a whole new 30 minutes or something. Um, I don't think that's true. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that I per I mean, assurance. I, I personally, you know, first of all, is, yeah, I feel like it's relatively ironic, perhaps, that you're worried that your stand-up doesn't pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> well, um, that, that, yeah, that is part uh, of it. <laughs> <laughs> but... I find, you know, my or my my personal approach. I don't want to be like mm -hmm. this is the rule or anything. But uh, I you just be yourself, you know, which is Pollyannish and and whatever, but I cuz I repurpose a lot of my old material mm -hmm. as like uh you know, especially I was uh, I moved here to Austin when I was 26 and then I didn't date like a soul for like 4 years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my jokes were just like I'm such a piece of shit and nobody what do you even want when I'm selling? And then and then I cleaned my act up a little bit health wise and got like a day job and mm -hmm. had structure, which is very important to me as a sure. only accountable to other people yes, uh, yes, person. Yes. And obviously that changed and I started dating and, and so I started to just do like, God, you know, sometimes when I feel like dating is stressful, I remember that four years in the fucking wilderness <laughs> and just repurposed all those punchlines as like, at least I'm not sleeping on a futon that I never fold down into a bed because why would I you know why bother uh -huh. um but just just you know like you carry your whole history with you to the stage if that makes sense sure so um it, 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 it is certainly a challenge to write anything funny about being in like a healthy stable relationship but right um but that doesn't mean you have to throw out you know your personal brand or whatever. That's true. I I would never. Um, <laughs> well, because the, the other part of it is, how do I, as a like fierce and militant feminist, fem sure. let me try saying that word again, feminist. <laughs> feminist. <There's a> <laughs> You're not militant enough to finish the word. <laughs> so, see. Um, how do you? How do I reconcile being that and then also because I am a straight woman, how do I reconcile like wanting the affection of a man? Mm -hmm. And like those two things aren't mutually exclusive. And I like understand that from a like kind of logical place. But I guess my emotional brain kicks in or <laughs> I just something and I'm just like, well... I should just be alone forever because if I uh, am, am not, then I'm not a feminine. You know? like, <laughs> and this comes up every now and then on, on the Bechtelcast where we, we like talk about like, oh my, like how does one reconcile 
this. And obviously there are ways and there are many people who have accomplished it, but I guess it, part of my problem is that, uh, I have awful, awful taste in men, just the worst, just the worst. (laughs) And I end up like dating people usually briefly, but like people who don't end up respecting me that much or treat, who treat me very well. And, uh, who, or who like, you know, only want something extremely casual and don't seem to value me for like my intelligence or personality or anything like that. So, um, that's something I have to talk to my therapist about, (laughs) but it's just like, oh, it's such a, uh, it's very complicated, but, um, in conclusion, my standup is about how all the sex I've had with horrible men and, um, it's also hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and and there's no, you know, I I feel like there's there's this temptation to be like, oh, my work has to reflect my deepest values as a feminist or as a person or or, or whatever. But it it doesn't have to be necessarily more complicated than like here's an experience. All the women in the crowd will definitely relate to. Right. And then we'll all feel better because I put it in a funny way. And I'm sure you do. Or I know you do because I looked at your stand-up to <laughs> book you on my show because I'm not an amateur. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and that, and that's something that I think about as uh, just some straight white dude again, you know, especially uh, putting a thing like this out there where I'm like, do I, uh, I hope I'm like thoughtful and sincere at the very least because... I don't necessarily have any sort of, I don't walk up there and people are like, oh, I hope this guy talks about his struggle. You know, like, <laughs> you know, sure. and I've and I've even like tried to even get at bigger things, but it is, you know, nobody wants to hear it from me because how would I know, you know? Right. So you have to stick with your lived experience, but sort of not, yeah, not treat it as therapy at the very least. Right. <laughs> Right, because I'm always like, oh, there, I could be doing more. I could be using my platform, like, as a stand-up comic, to like talk more about racial inequality and like anything along those lines. Yeah. Um, but I'm also like, am I really the best person to be talking about that <laughs> um, as a white lady? Um, but also, like, white people should be talking about these things. So it's complicated. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm going to uh, t- reserve those more nuanced and, uh, like, just socially impactful conversations for the Bechtel cast. Yeah. And I'm going to get up on stage and do stand-up about cum. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> you know. That's certainly a great perspective on it. <laughs> Thank you so much. You know, and I know what I think the Bechdel cast is a wonderful example of, uh, you know, both you and Jamie are very thoughtful people. And, Thank you. And you, you don't speak outside of your own experience. And, and like I said, also you, you balance it well between like condemning something for the values it contains mm-hmm. from that perspective, but also sort of existing. As it is, and sure. and, I, and I think that's the ultimate test of like what there seems to be a big debate in comedy lately that I don't even understand why there's a debate, mm. 
vis-a-vis should it promote harm or not, right? Like, should we say racist stuff all the time or homophobic stuff all the time? Because we're just doing a podcast. We could say all the epithets we want, right? We're comedians. I strongly disagree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So kind of like we're saying, I don't think we're obligated to work toward the social good just because we're telling jokes, but just don't fucking marginalize anyone. Don't be off. Don't be racist. Don't be a monster. (laughs) It's like a good general rule. I feel like there's... There is like a school of comics, or I don't, you know, it's comics and air quotes, yeah, generation. But like, I don't know, it also spans across generations. Mm-hmm. Where they're like, oh, I'm just, you know, comedy is subversive, and I'm just gonna like say what, like, I'm gonna what I think, blah blah blah, and I'm gonna be edgy, edgy, yeah. edgy, edgy, all these edge lords, and it's like, well, first of all, racism isn't subversive, yeah, <laughs> so the, and transphobia isn't subversive, yeah. <laughs> like it's actually like far too prevalent. Um, but uh, yeah, I this whole like, <sighs> I just the uh, it, I always think of like all that like group of comics that were like. I don't play colleges anymore because PC humor is ruining comedy. And it's just like, no, you've just built an entire career around making jokes off of marginalized people Mm -hmm. and like punching down. And that is extremely problematic. And maybe uh, you should retire. You heard it here first. (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld should retire. (laughs) Or whoever else... Yeah. Was complaining about colleges. Right. So. I forget who else. Uh, Seinfeld was the first, per- like the main person that. <laughs> of of all people, I'm like, what are college crowds not liking about your dumb? <sighs> but yeah, the whole the whole PC thing, it's it's complete nonsense to me. Yeah. And it's also just like then be funny or you know work within it. That's those are the crowds. You can't change them. Right. Uh. Adapt or get the f out. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for. For being here, it's you know? It's my pleasure. Uh, where can people find you on the social medias of the you world? You can go to twitter.com and instagram.com. No. Um, you can follow me. Let me let me try again and take <laughs> this seriously. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Instagram and Twitter, at Caitlin Durante. Um, it's spelled with a C. You'll figure it out. Do you know there's over 100 ways to spell Caitlin? Rude. I knew there were a few. It's a lot. Wow. Um, but yeah. anyways, you'll, so I'm sure you'll tag. People I'll will find me. Throw it out there. Um, and uh, check out the Bechtel cast. My co-host Jamie Loftus and I discuss a different movie every week through an intersectional feminist lens. So if you like movies, if you like feminism, if you like laughing along to hilarious bits <laughs> you'll like the show and um i i also teach screenwriting classes and um uh period end of sentence <laughs> <There's> nothing, <laughs> i guess and you can learn about those uh, on my website caitlindurante.com slash classes excellent uh, you can reach the podcast if you're motivated at sincere at gmail.com. I'm A Duncan Carson everywhere because my first name is actually Andrew and it was taken <gasps> most places without it. Secret. I know. <laughs> my secret's out. <laughs> this is coming out uh, tomorrow, whatever day that is. So if you're in Austin, you can see Caitlin tomorrow on Sure Thing. 
Yes. Which is every Friday night at the Fallout Theater. Uh, she's also doing Off Script on Saturday, Saturday. at 10 p.m. Indeed. At the very same place. Uh, and I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>